This is Mr. Payne. I'm Brent Headley. Today, I'm genuinely thrilled to be joined by Matt McGregor, or should I say, Dr. Matt McGregor, for episode one of Dads in Pain. Now, Matt's too humble to say it, but he's actually one of Australia's leading psychologists with a decorated career that spans all kinds of really interesting areas, including sport and exercise. I consider him a friend, he's a ripping guy, he's an even better father, and he's got a treasure trove of tools. So our series is off to a flying start with Matt in the chair. Listen up, and please let us know what you think afterwards. Uh, okay, so welcome Matt. Uh, as former colleagues, uh, it's no secret that you and I know each other quite well. Um, and you're more than qualified to, uh, to be joining us here on our first episode of uh, Mr. Pain with our series one focus being Dads in Pain. Um, so welcome, Matt. Thank you very much. Nice to be uh, chatting again. It's just like old times. And, and I, I've got to say, I love the title, Mr. Pain. Well, thank you. I, I won't take full credit for it, but it's a, it's a pretty <laughs> obvious one from our end. Um, look, I'll give you a chance to introduce yourself. I think that's probably the best way to do it. But um, I guess the plan today for us in this short chat is just to sort of drill down on some of those psychological aspects of pain that we've sort of been discussing about offline um, and how they present, I guess, in the context of what it, what we acknowledge to be an all too common male stoic mindset. Um, Matt, do you want to just give us a, a bit of a rundown in terms of what you're going to bring to the table from a, from from your own background sort of perspective today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I guess in very general terms, I've been a, a psychologist for a bit over 20 years, 22 or 23, something um, around the mark there. Um, and for most of that time, I've worked with um, elite athletes, professional and uh, and Olympic athletes, range of different sports, but I've also seen a lot of um, a lot of sort of just clients in general. So as psychologists, we sort of do our general training first, and then you specialise. And so while I've got that some sport and exercise um, extra training, I do still do lots of general work. And, and I guess this sort of topic or issue of pain comes up in in both sectors get lots of athletes um, experiencing and talking about it but um, clearly lots of people from from non uh, sporting backgrounds who also experience a bit of a bit of pain so um, yeah one way shape or another it, it, it pops up here there and everywhere and, and I've got to say in terms of sort of psychology um, some of the most fascinating kind of research um, and, and um, developments things that we've discovered about you know the brain come in this area of pain for me it's just it's it's fascinating when you do little bits of research so uh very happy to talk about um my experience the the little bit that i know because there's a lot that we don't know yet too i think you've you've uh, missed out on on one piece which is most importantly also a very proud husband and father of two fast-growing daughters so um we're definitely going to tap into that as well as part of the discussion how that sort of (laughs) plays out yeah, absolutely. And so for uh, for dads in pain, I am a dad. <laughs> uh, 
And as a weekend warrior sort of athlete, I was never a professional, but as a weekend warrior athlete, I've, I've, I've had a fair share of sort of injuries and, and lingering pain too. So maybe there's a little bit of uh, sprinkling of lived experience in there too. Brilliant, brilliant. All right. And I know with you, Matt, as it tends to be the case, there'll always be uh, plenty of little gold nuggets and practical tools and tricks and whatnot that you'll drop in the next uh, 20 minutes or so. So look, we might dive into it. Um, as you mentioned, you've devoted your life working with, with people from all walks of life. Um, worth just starting off, what's so special about men, I guess, as a starting point? But we're going to now, I guess, give you an opportunity to sort of outline, I guess, the psychology of pain in that context. Yeah, and, and really the part that I'm most interested in and, and my sort of um, approach to psychology shifted maybe 10 or so years ago Um when um, I started doing a little bit of training around neuroscience. And neuroscience has given us some really fascinating um, tools, first of all, to, to understand what's going on in brains. And I said at the start, we really scratched the surface. Um, but I sort of weave that into, into the way I work with people. So it's probably like the, the neuropsychology of, of pain or um, you know more so than the, the you know the general psychology and and the most fascinating concept. Um, this is probably how we've we've shifted our thinking in a really positive direction in the last sort of twenty or thirty years. Is this discovery that that brains are what we call plastic? So we talk about neuroplasticity being that that our brain can and does change in relation to our environment. Um, and you know twenty, thirty, forty, fifty years ago we probably thought, well, brains grew and developed till you're about sort of 18 and then you kind of had your adult brain, you know, through the rest of your life um, until it started to deteriorate when you were very elderly. But now we know through all this amazing imagery and sort of technology that we've got that uh, the brains are regenerating and changing sort of all the, all the time. We're capable of, of this plasticity. Um, and where that kind of links up to, to pain is that, um, you know, pain is the psychology of pain, particularly acute pain. It's incredibly important. You know, pain, the experience of it exists in the brain. It's, it's a sort of, a, sort of a, um, an experience in the brain. And um, again, you know, not too long ago, we sort of the, the medical model of pain was that, um, you know, it was about damage, some damage to tissue or organ. Um, but we now understand again that that uh, brain is this sort of experience in uh, sorry pain is this experience in the brain, um, and so this idea of neuroplasticity becomes very important, particularly when we're talking about that sort of chronic persistent pain, acute pain, really important. We need to know that there's some danger so that we can, you know, make some some changes. We can take our hand off the really hot stove, or we can stop running on that broken ankle. <laughs> But then something can and does often change with chronic and persistent pain. Our brain adapts that neuroplasticity, but it sometimes can adapt in ways that are not particularly helpful for us in the long term. Might have a little bit of survival um, value for us, but long term can be a bit counterproductive. And so if you imagine here an example, say with um, someone who hurts their back at work, and, you know, is experiencing some pain? Well, there's certainly some, some short-term survival value in that pain saying, okay, we, we need to lighten the load here, stop moving that back around quite a bit and just protect yourself. But 
long term, if that's what our brain starts to learn, is or do less or protect, then it can be a bit maladaptive because all of that sort of avoidance and, and shutting down life can have some quite negative um, consequences for us. And we might shut ourselves off from all sorts of things that are psychologically positive. And while we're kind of protecting our little back from that, you know, that pain, no more pain, please stop doing that, stop, stop, stop. We also shut ourselves off from lots of other parts of life that are, are really valuable, if not vital. So the, the concept of neuroplasticity, the fact that our brains can change in ways that are unhelpful, but also it, it's almost like the little clue to if we are experiencing some chronic pain uh, that's getting in the way of life, well, our brain is actually capable of, of changing again in a more positive way. Touched on so much there, Matt. One thing I really want to pick up on is just around um, this concept of, um, I guess, the, the the mental component around pain and how a lot of the men mm. you work with have crossed over a whole, I guess, sort of hurdles and obstacles to actually get in a room and talk to you about what's going on in their life. And, and clearly mental health has sort of come a long way, particularly in the last 5, 10, 15 years in terms of the destigmatization. But chronic pain you know, in a lot of ways is kind of still back there. And that notion that, you know, something potentially could be wrong with me as a guy, as a bloke mentally, um, and that it's living in my head. Um, mm -hmm. What do you see in terms of the, the men that you're working with, um, that, that recognition that, hey, it's not just about, you know, we're men, we like to fix things. My shoulder's giving mm -hmm. me a problem, my knee's giving me a problem, the issue's there, it's not between my ears. Yeah, so there are probably two parts to that. One is, uh, and you mentioned it right off the bat, this sort of cultural um, valuing of, of stoicism, the stiff upper lip and, you know, toughen up princess and just, you know, just charge on through it. Certainly, um, you know, in, in masculine culture and sport, uh, where I do a lot of my work, kind of almost have the hyper-masculine ideal. So we get a lot of this sort of stoicism that, you know, you may be experiencing some pain and you kind of go into denial and, nah, uh, all good here. Um, and, and I think here, um, just to go off on a, a personal tangent, my uh, dear old dad, who's in his 80s, uh, has, has had a couple of health issues, one being some, some cancer, and he actually had his nose removed. He had a sort of a, a facial tumour and he had, had to lose his whole nose, which is a pretty major operation. I remember, uh, you know, going in to see him and saying, oh, how's the pain? And he actually denied having any pain whatsoever. He had a part cool. of his body removed and That's... couldn't help but think well, this stoicism thing um, can be pretty counterproductive. So we kind of go into denial that there's any pain. Wow. And then the, the second thing you mentioned was just around this kind of stigma that we're okay with um, physical injury ailment but this notion that there's something in my head that, you know, that pain is this experience in our brain, there can be some stigma around that. That can be really hard for blokes to sort of come to terms with. But if they can't come to terms with it, then we can't actually deal in ways with some of the most sort of powerful kind of remedies where we can say, well, perhaps there are ways we can retrain your brain a little bit to, to change your experience of pain. So we, we kind of get trapped almost in this perfect storm, lots of us blokes. 
Look, I'm keen to unpack that a little bit more, Matt, because I know my wife, uh, as a, I suffer with chronic pain myself, and I know she's, she's tried uh, over, at different points to throw a book at me here or try and get me to think about pain in a different way. And I know that I've certainly sort of maybe had a negative response to that, you know, like, no, 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 I'm, I'm very much, you mm. know, I'm very much got a hold of this. I'm talking to the right people. I don't need to go down that path. But how do you work with guys who are perhaps less receptive to, you know, want to unpack this? this sort of this i guess i'm just going to call mm-hmm. it the, the mental component of it well i think you've got to look for these entry points and for some people it can be um and i'm thinking of younger men here who are probably a little bit more open to the help seeking thing but they're going to want um often technology so they'll listen to a podcast or they'll go and watch uh, a, a youtube clip where someone talks about pain um they may not go and sit in an office with a um a GP or a psychologist, though, so they they, they might access it through um, you know through technology. Um, sport is a really interesting one because athletes can be incredibly powerful influencers. So if we can get athletes talking about you know that pain exists um, and it's okay to to work with the kind of psychological components of it, then perhaps those middle-aged men. Um, we're speaking to now who may not engage through technology, they might engage better through, you know, having a role model like an athlete. If we can get, a, you know, some AFL players, for instance, talking about, you know, their experience of chronic pain and how they deal with it and what's worked and what hasn't. That's yeah. There's some yeah. There's there's a lot to, that, that that you've touched on there. I think we could f- unpack even further. That's but yeah. But certainly the role of of sport and and even even other sort of pursuits in terms of normalising mm. that that help seeking. That's that's something which you know there's so much opportunity. And we've again, if we use the example of mental health in a broader context, um, we've got some really clear examples of of how far that's come um, with that. I guess that high profile advocacy and whatnot that sort of underpins it. Hey, Matt, yeah. um, a couple of things. First of all, um, we're going to bring this back to relationships here. And I'm, I'm conscious that our audience may not be 100% male. We may have some, some females or, uh, you know, I guess other, other, mm-hmm. other audiences that are listening to us today. It, how, how does this, this potential, that some of these challenges that you're talking about that men are facing, how does that potentially manifest in terms of the relationships that men hold? And it may be in the, within the family and dynamic, but also might, might be in a social setting. Yeah, look, persistent chronic pain, um, it's rarely, I'll say, um, an individual experience because it can have the the ability to kind of take over lives and families. It's not just one person's experience. It it often will impact um, partners, uh, children, others in the the family unit. And and often that's the the point of help-seeking is that particularly for, for blokes that they'll come and talk to us, people like me, psychologists, because there's a relationship issue. They're not necessarily coming saying, I have you know some, some issues with chronic pain. They're saying, the family have given me an ultimatum. Or they tell me I'm grumpy, they don't want to be around me, I'm always critical, or I, I don't engage with them anymore and, and go and do the usual family things. It's, it's often a little family rupture that brings them to the sort of help-seeking point. But when you sort of peel back the layers a little bit, um, you know, there can be this, you know, chronic pain issue sitting underneath it. Well, this is why I'm grumpy. This is why I don't, I can't go to the kids' footy matches, um, you know, because I often, you know, get really, you know, really sore. I can't enjoy it and, and things like that. So 
it can colour and almost become the, the central feature of lots of relationships. It's, you know, geez, we don't seem to talk about anything else other than, you know, your pain. Um, and on top so of that, I, you, I guess... Sorry, I'll let you keep going, but you did mention about the, 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 the high likelihood that people are starting to shut themselves up or, or off and reshaping themselves in, spite, in, in light of their pain. Does that, does that sort of feed into this point as well, does it? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. People, you know, in a very, very general sense, life shrinks when you have this sort of pain experience, a bit of a cloud that kind of follows you around, um, may not be there all day, every day, but it's, it's, it's pretty um, ever-present. And one of the common psychological reactions to that is to try and sort of shut down life to minimise that pain. Some people have a little bit of kind of success with that. Many people don't that even when, you know, life contracts, they still left sitting there with their pain, but now they've got all this social isolation as well, that they're kind of cut off from their mates. They're not going and catching up with people after work. They're not going for a walk uh, on the weekend with their partner for a coffee, um, all of these sort of things, all these other parts of life start to to shut down as well. And, and it's really kind of... Um, it's almost inviting in a secondary set of problems. I've still got the pain, um, but now some of those other joyful experiences in life, I don't get to do them either. And just on the social aspect, we've just um, received the findings of our 2022 National Pain Survey. And while the response from men was incredibly low, around 13%, which again highlights some of the things you're talking about there, we're not seeing that level of engagement. We did have incredibly high numbers when it comes to people using um, substance, particularly alcohol, as mm. a tool to um, to address their pain. Now, whether that's through masking or, or just for medicinal purposes or whatnot. So mm. does that link then really tightly into what we're sort of talking about here in terms of how it may play out in the social setting? Absolutely. You know, often people will be so desperate to do something about their pain that they, that they will sort of self-medicate a little bit. Um, you know, through prescription medications, um, you know, through alcohol, other things. And again, that can have these other little social consequences that now the family, the partner um, sees a lifestyle problem as well. And saying, well, you know, dad drinks too much or my partner seems to, you know, like his, uh, his medications more than he likes me and, you know, all these sort of things. So it, it can be this, this really um, strong kind of downward spiral. Often it takes quite a while to get to that point. It's sort of rare for people to sort of, you know, have some sort of an injury or a pain experience and dive straight in there. But um, before people know it, they often look around and say, oh, how do I get here? Yeah. So, and again, we're, we're talking to a broad audience here. We've, I've got no doubt that we're talking to people who, you know, the penny's sort of um, dropping here in a few areas and maybe just nodding along or saying, oh, that's a little bit like me, but not necessarily. But we've also potentially got some, some rings of support that may be listening and, you know, that might be a, a particular loved one in their life or, or someone that they're a close friend or a mate or whoever. What advice do you have for for those, I guess, uh, those supporters that, that, are, that are, I guess, drawn into this experience of you know, an individual who, who's managing chronic pain and, and perhaps not as receptive to uh, engage in support and, uh, and maybe, yeah, that's manifesting, as I said, into some of the, the relationship aspects? 
Well, I think the most important thing to start with for everybody, including the person experiencing the pain, but the, you know, often the family members too, is to do a bit of pain education because, um, you know, a lot of people's experience of that pain, I know it's real, um, but my family sort of almost don't believe it. You know, they're, they're sort of, you know, they've almost desensitised a bit to, to, to this. Um, but generally speaking, when, when everybody has a better understanding of, of um, you know, what pain involves, and it is complicated, <laughs> but what pain, is, you know, what, what's involved, and then can be more supportive um, around if dad is, partner is trying to, to sort of make these changes, what I can do to help and support it. And, and sometimes it's even around um, how not to encourage or support some of the, um, the less adaptive coping things. Um, which, which might be, and you know, I, m one of my first experiences as a trainee psychologist was working at a spinal clinic, um, and and that was fascinating. I didn't really know a lot about pain at that point in time, um, but I, I got all these really brilliant kind of insights through patients, clients, just telling me their their stories. And one of the things that became really really clear very early on was this notion of secondary gains that when we're when we're injured, when we're in pain, when we're sort of suffering, and it's not the same thing as malingering, going, ha, ha, I don't have to go to work anymore, or, but there are all these secondary gains that, that people, you know, being helpful and come to us with, and they give us sort of love and affection and initially anyway. <laughs> um, and so some of those things can be a little bit counterproductive. We have to be careful um, as supporters of people experiencing persistent pain, what we're reinforcing and what we're not. And while we want to reinforce that this pain is, is real, it exists, it can be debilitating, we, we don't want to reinforce the shutting down of life and nothing can be done and almost that kind of catastrophic thinking that lots of people with, with long-term pain can really get into, that this is it, I've tried everything, nothing works and... You know, if we're not careful as supporters, sometimes we can, you know, in trying to be sympathetic, we can almost reinforce some of those beliefs and really what we need to do is, is challenge a few. And so let's see what you're capable of. You know, there may be some things that you can't do, but what can you do? I feel like we just touched the tip of an iceberg here today, Matt. I'm just, I know that we, 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 want, we are going to keep these, these discussions quite punchy, but if and I see a long and bright future for you in terms of uh, your your appearance as a as a as a podcast panelist here with us. But what haven't we discussed today that that you're really quite passionate and interested in that we we potentially would like to pick up at some stage in future? Well, I'll leave you with one little thing, and and this comes from athletes because I think athletes have got us something really important that they can and do teach us about pain. And I'll mark, ask people to to make a little sort of leap of faith first if you haven't done if you don't have much of a background in, in sort of sport but let's consider that training um is in a very strange roundabout way chronic pain because athletes need to push the boundaries they push themselves into sort of physical hurt and what they come to understand about that is that uh, and this is about their acceptance pain acceptance, that they need to do a little bit of that. They need to go into, push into these areas of, of pain and discomfort to get the gains later on. 
So they, they do, and it's often really, really subconscious, they do this little kind of pain acceptance thing with themselves. They, okay, this is going to hurt a bit, this training session I'm going to do today, but it'll be worth it because further down the track, um, you know, there's something positive going to come for me. And I think this whole notion of pain acceptance is a really interesting one for, for people to um, who are experiencing persistent pain to, to, to work on. Change your relationship to the pain. Change how you're explaining what it's it's doing or why it's there to yourself. And you might have one of these athlete moments. And, and I'll, I'll finish just with a little story, if I can. Please do. This was with a, a, a water polo athlete, and I was doing some mindfulness training with this athlete. And, you know, water polo is a pretty tough sport. They do a lot of sort of conditioning lap work but then the, the sport itself is is really quite physically demanding and we were doing some mindfulness stuff and and the athlete came in after a few sessions and spoke to me and said i just i've had this lightning bolt moment um with all this mindfulness practice about just being more in tune with my body and my thoughts and what's going on i was swimming some laps the other day and it was getting really hard and i knew that i had a lot more to do and i suddenly thought wait a minute if it's not hurting I'm not actually doing it right. And she said, look, it just changed my whole attitude to, to training and to, to pain. You know, it's it, it's meant to be there. It's it's I, I understand what it's doing and why it's there. It's not denying, it's not being stoic and saying, no, no, nothing wrong with me, all good. But she just changed the relationship she had with the pain and um, kind of created a bit of space for it, allowed it to be there. But there was something bigger that she wanted to focus on that was providing all the excitement joy all the positivity in our life that mindset shift yeah so, yeah that's a that's a, a terrific um example i guess of um yeah the value of engaging in people who understand this space experts like yourself working with them to develop not necessarily that same sort of um outcome but maybe something that works <clears throat> more specific to, to their particular circumstance or uh, their own experiences so Look, I think, as I said, we're, we're really just touching on this and I, I really think we'd be hard-pressed to find a better first guest on, on this brand-new podcast, Matt. So I'm gonna, we're going to park it there. I'm going to thank you very much for your time and, um, yeah, look forward to continuing the chat. No worries. A lot of fun. Thanks, Matt. Cheers. Just a quick follow-up. We'd love to hear your feedback. This episode, along with all future episodes of Mr. Payne, is going to be shaped by the community. So please reach out to Chronic Pain Australia via the website or social media.